0: So glad you're here uh, to worship with us this morning. My name is Troy Nicholson. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven. Uh, We've been journeying through the book of Hebrews, which we'll continue to do again today. We're going to hit chapter 10 today. I I do want to say this Tyler gave some heads up for some um, sequences that are going to be a little different through the month of May on Wednesday nights. We're also going to do a mini series that will be a little bit different for us. We're going to break up the book of Hebrews at the end of May uh, just for two weeks where we will have, I know, get ready for it. Uh, For those of you who were here last year, he's coming back. Um, Dr. Al Saunders is coming back for another uh, mental health series. We're going to take two weeks just to focus on what does it look like to have a solid biblical mental health. And so Dr. Al Saunders is uh, the founder of Wellspring um, Counseling Group. If you've ever heard of Wellspring out of Birmingham, phenomenal uh, physicians and, and, and psychologists and and they're going to, he's going to come, and we're going to do a little mini-series on choosing joy. What does it look like to choose joy as a believer? Um, and where that's rooted in and, and how that fleshes itself out. So, if you walk in and go, man, Troy, I wish that was today, because my life is broken. Well, it, well it's not. It's not today. Uh, but we will find joy in Hebrews chapter 10 as well. But do mark your calendar for that. We're going to do that. Uh, so... We're going to jump in again, continuing through Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, maybe we should say a word about shadows uh, to get our minds set uh, on, on the text. Shadows, as we all know, can be uh, very fun. You know, if, if you're one of those individuals that know how to do the shadow puppets and you know do the dog and all the things, make the shadows, <clears throat> just for kicks and giggles, we've all done this, right? I'm not the only one that's tried to make the animal puppet. Um, Right? Am I the only... Okay. We've, done, we've all done this. So they can be fun. Shadows can also be incredibly creepy. Um, growing up, I, I'll never forget, every night I would jump in my bed and, and tuck my... Uh, pillow over my face because I really was afraid of the spaghetti monster under my bed no matter how many times my parents came in there. um, I was always in any shadow that went by. It could be, uh, I knew for a fact, it could be a tree limb just kind of waving in the wind, casting a shadow. But I, in my crazy brain, and many of you guys are there with me, I would make it something it was not. And I would take it to cuckoo land. And shadows can be creepy. They can be fun. They can be all of these different things. But... Shadows can only ever be just a representation of a greater reality. A shadow is always cast by something. The shadow in and of itself can never do anything at all. It can never accomplish anything. If I was to cast the meanest shadow of a Rottweiler that you've ever seen on the wall... Do we have any light that could do it? Um, If if I was to do that... That shadow can do nothing to you, right? It's only a representation of a greater reality. I say all that to say, that is exactly where we've been in the book of Hebrews. So for those of you who've been journeying with us, you're like, okay, I see where he's going with this. If you have not been journeying with us through the book of Hebrews, that's where we're headed. The writer of Hebrews has been telling us, everything in the Old Testament was just a shadow. ...of something greater to come. Anything that you read or anything that you saw or anything that you witnessed... ...all represented something greater to come. And he's really going to flesh that out for us today. So y'all ready? Ready for Hebrews 10? Alright, I know you're probably ready to get on to the Hall of Faith in 11 and 12... ...and all that kind of stuff. We're not there yet. We're right knocking on the door of it, but let's get through 10 today. So, in other words, he's going to say something along these lines not specifically in the text, but as you prepare your mind, something like this. All of those basins that you read about where the priests would wash their hands, well, they could never really do anything. They pointed to a greater washing. All of those sacrifices that we've talked about, the bloody sacrifices, well, that blood could never truly appease anything. That blood just pointed to something greater to come. Um, all of the, uh, the priests that would go in and out they could go in and do the fat sacrifice and they had to come back out and they would have to go back in. But at some point, they couldn't do that forever. They would die. They would kick the bucket. They were just a shadow of something greater to come. So, we're going to read a lot today. We've got 39 verses to go through. I'm going to need your help. And When I say we're going to read a lot today... I want you to read along with us. And so I love what David Kaziah did, and and so I I really hope to incorporate this more and more. Anytime you see something emboldened on the screen, I need you to read that out aloud, okay? So I'll read as we go through the text, but anytime today you see something emboldened, hey, you read it aloud, let's read it aloud together. Let's all join in, okay? All right, here we go. I think it'll make it fun. Um, So, four cents, the law... "...has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness for sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away any sins. So the shadows could do nothing. And in fact, the only thing that the shadows could even do, if they could even do one thing, as you read aloud it was this, is just to remind you of your sin. So any offering that was offered, whether it was the sacrifice or the blood or the 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 priests going in or the bells being rung or the cleansing and all that kind of stuff all of that could only accomplish even one thing if it could accomplish anything and that was just to remind you of your sin and he's going to keep going and say something along these lines because of this your conscience was still seared your conscience still wreaked havoc If if you're going, Troy, I'm I'm not really tracking with you. Please go listen to last week's message. There's a group of believers in this world today who are still bound in their conscience. Their conscience has never been set free. They've never really been set free to the freedom of Christ, the freedom of grace, the freedom of joy that is to come. And that's why, in part, we're going to have a series, the mini-series, on choosing joy. I just think... I just think believers should be the happiest people on earth. I, I just believe that. I mean, we should be walking around and, and people go, I, I just want to slap that silly smile off your face. And then we go, we'll try to slap it off. Jesus will put it back. I don't know. it's like a stupid Jesus juke or something. We should be that people. I mean, we should have that type joy. Why? Because our conscience is no longer seared. And we're gonna keep getting to that. But my point is this let's take it to 2022. In the Old Testament, they did all of these things to somehow free their conscience. And the writer of Hebrews is saying it couldn't happen. It couldn't. It wouldn't work. In 2023, I think we still do the same thing. We walk around, and I hate to keep maybe beating a dead horse, but it's something along the lines of I'm Troy. I am trying to read my Bible, and it is not bringing me any joy. I am trying to share my faith, and it's not bringing me any joy. I keep showing up Sunday after Sunday, and it's not bringing me any joy. I uh, keep—I'm trying to reconcile my money in a way to steward it well to the glory of God, and it's not bringing me any joy. Well, here's my question: My question is, are you trying to find your joy in works? They'll never free your conscience just won't. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Have you found the freedom of Christ's grace? And when that occurs, things change. He's going to go on to say this. Mankind's only hope could ultimately be found if the reality of the shadow showed up. And he did. Jesus Christ, number two, is the greatest of all realities. He goes on in verse five to say this. None of these things could satisfy, so consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have, um, have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said, Above, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds to church, hey, if, you, if you say this humdrum, I might just throw this table right off of this whatever this altar thing is, okay? And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's the book of Hebrews. That's it. That's the whole book in a nutshell right there. Everything you could ever dream or want Is found in Christ Jesus, the reality of any shadow that has ever been cast. And so in this, when we contemplate Christ and when we think on Christ, the shadows could do nothing but remind us. Works can do nothing but remind us of our sins. And Christ can only remove our sin. So when you think of Christ... Do you instantly go to, well, here's who Christ is. Now I'm reminded of how great a sinner I am. Is that what you do? Because if you do, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. What he's saying is, if you contemplate Christ, your mind should go instantly to, my sin has been removed. What a great truth, church. What a gr- and, and so the writer of Hebrews says something like this, I won't recap all of it, but he says Christ's sacrifice was once, not just once a year, but it was once for all. Christ's sacrifice was offered and then he sat down. The priests, they had to keep moving. They had to keep getting up, keep offering more sacrifices, keep doing the thing. Christ's sacrifice had a literal inward effect. Did you see in that text where one who has contemplated the glories of Christ is then indwelled by the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes in and does a a literal inward change. There is an inward effect that occurs. But the old stuff was just movements of the hands. It was more works. It was outworking of this or moving my feet. Christ sacrificed was intentionally to remove our sin, not just remind us of that sin. And church, nothing, nothing clears the conscience quite like this. I will remember your sin and your lawless deeds no more. Like, when you, when you read those words, does that, does that sound too scandalous to be true? Anyone? To, to me, it does. Man, I, I read this and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord really knows how bad a sinner I am. <laughs> like, I read that and I go, I'll remember their sins and lawless needs no more. And I'm the type of person that goes, I believe that's true for all of y'all, <laughs> but not this brother. Anybody else feel me? Holly, if you feel me now. I, I, I get that. Like, I feel that. That erupts in my soul and nothing quite clears the conscience like this. Not only does Christ remove sin, but according to this verse, He doesn't even recall our sin. I, I tried to come up with a word that could describe what that means, and the best I could come up with was befuddling and then I had to look it up to see what it meant, to make sure I had it right. It's mind-blowing. Uh, my mom, God bless her biased soul, um, and, and rightly so. I, I always thought it was a little unfair that she loves my sister more than me and my brother. Um, and, and then I had an only daughter. And um, <laughs> I don't mean that guy, I don't mean that guy, you know. Uh, but, but she was biased. She, she is biased. She, she is biased. Um, Mom, we came in. Some of you guys have heard this story before, but we came in from playing in the snow of, what was it, 93? 90, was it 93? You know, uh, when, <laughs> when all the Northerners looked at us like we were completely insane, <laughs> well, they're like, y'all had 12 inches of snow. Great. That sounds like a normal Tuesday to us. But we had it and we shut down the whole state for three weeks. It was awesome. Everybody was, y'all remember what you were sledding on? Like cat litter boxes, <laughs> ironing boards, <laughs> you, whatever you could grab. We were, you know, we were, we were doing the thing on it. And I, we were out there playing one day, riding through the snow. And we, we came in, you know, it's like day three. So <laughs> we're literally down to like duct taping our feet because all the socks are, you know, wet. And, and, and me and my brother came in and my mom lit in, lit into us. What do you do when you're getting... You know, we don't even have heat. Why would you get the snow on the ground and blah, 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 just lighten into us? And we're like, oh, mom, I can't... My sister comes walking in. She goes, hi, baby, did you have fun? Was, did, you have a good, did you have a good time? And I'm like, we're right... We're Mom, we are literally right here the same as her. And that's okay. That's her prerogative. It's her house. It's her daughter. She can choose who to bestow joy on and choose who to bestow wrath on. She can do what she wants to do. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying is if you're a believer, the Father scandalously has chosen to ignore your mucky feet and say, "I don't even remember that. How was your day?" Did you have fun? Are you resting in my joy? I'm so proud of you. That's how scandalous the gospel is. Hebrews is good, isn't it? It's good stuff. And that's the great reality of Christ. Is that He doesn't just save us, but He saves us to the uttermost. And then... I'm going to say three things about that. Number one, it really is mind-blowing. Number two, this has grand implications for the table. Uh, I do want to remind once again, if if you didn't hear Tyler, uh, we want to repeat this over and over. Um, We we do have wine and grape juice both offered uh, for those who choose to take of wine because of its bitterness. It's just that reminder of, hey, this was not sweet. This was bitter. But some people do have conscience seared against that. We perfectly, totally understand it. And some people have struggled with alcohol, and, and you, don't, you, just, you don't need that. Okay, So that's all there. And then also what I also want to remind you, too, is if your kids are in here, you're the parent, and that's up to you as, as to how you do that. But we should have grand implications of do this in remembrance of me when we come to the table. In light of, I will remember your sin no more. When we do this in remembrance of him, how much joy should erupt from our soul as we pick up the bread and pick up the cup, knowing that our sins are remembered no more. Glorious implications for the table, number two. And then number three, this also should have immense value as Satan whispers in your ear throughout the week. Now tell me something. How could a good Christian like you have a wayward thought like that? Kick him in his teeth and say, I'm only good because of the righteousness of Christ and Christ remembers not my sin no more. Anybody else ever feel that? How how could a good... There's nothing good about us. It's only the goodness of Christ that we stand righteous before the Father. That's the glorious implications of this text. Now with that said, number three. Thank you. Number three. Worship then is the natural byproduct of one captivated by Christ's work. He's going to go on to say this. In other words, he's going to say as a result of Christ's work and a result of everything that's going on, our lives should erupt in worshipful obedience. And what he's going to give us here is not a list of involuntary duties that one must accomplish to receive Christ's work. So as you read this, don't read it as, I have to do these things to earn Christ's favor. That's not where he goes. He says this, Because shadows can only point to a great reality, because Christ is the greatest of all realities, if you get this, therefore you will naturally do some things. Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 goes on to say, Therefore, because of all these things, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God... Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you say the day draw nearing. Now, I'm going to pause right here because the writer's just given us quite a bit. If you are captivated by the glorious news of the reality of Christ, and as if it's raptured your heart, then he says there's a couple of things that will happen as a natural, again, not an involuntary work, but just as a voluntary response of worship. These things will occur in believers. Number one, you'll draw near confidently. In Christ, if you're a believer, you draw near confidently. Not like a like, like a dog. From time to time, a dog will come run through the neighborhood. And it'll step in my yard. And I'm like, hey, we're not dog people. Get out of my yard, nasty dog. Uh, we're cat people. You know, God's... True animals. Uh, yeah, but, but they'll come in, you know, and, and so we'll, we'll go out there to, to lovingly show it our neighbor's yard. And, um, and, and, you know, a lot of times you go out there to the dog, and the dog will just kind of cow down. And, it, and you know once it does that, that it's, that it's been beaten, right? The writer of Hebrews is saying this, don't you dare, as a believer, approach the Father as a beat-down dog. In Christ, you come confidently. You come confidently before Him. It's because of Christ. Number two, not only confidently, but you, you draw near truthfully. You can draw near not holding back anything. Why? Because He already knows it all anyway. You, you come to Him, scars and flaws and all. I love it when people say, oh, well, I read the book of Job, and, and man, I, just, I don't think that you should really question God. Here's an interesting fact. Never once in the book of Job Was Job rebuked for asking questions? Job was rebuked because he stopped worshiping. There's all kinds of questions. Jesus asked questions in the Garden of of Gethsemane, right? Lord, I don't know know about this, right? So as we come, we come honestly, truthfully. Here's where I'm at. Here's my flaws. Here's my hiccups. Here's my hangups. Here's where I need you. We can come to the Father in that way. And I would argue if you come in any other way, it's under false pretense anyway. Number three, you can draw near with full assurance. Full assurance that you'll be met with an embrace if you're a believer. You come knowing you'll be embraced. Now I want to give a side note here. Because some people have a warped concept of what that embrace is because your parents or your parent or however that fleshed itself out never once embraced you or loved you. They never showed any outward infection, affection, and so you were like, "Oh, I don't know if I can." I don't know if I can. Come. And so you have a warped skew of what fatherhood looks like. Well, here is what I can say to you: in full assurance, as we come to Christ in full assurance, you will get in Christ the embrace that you always dreamed of and more. You'll find that in Christ. I can't rewrite the wrong narrative that was played out by your trashy parents, But Christ can, and He will, and He does. You can come in full assurance of embrace. And then number four, you can hold fast your confession. You can hold fast. You can stand boldly in the gym. You can stand boldly at your work. You can hold fast. All the things that we just sang, you can hold those things boldly. And the question is not... Well, what do other people think? The question is, why would I not stand boldly and confess because of the great news of who Christ is? We stand boldly, confidently, full assurance. We hold fast to confession. And you can and wouldn't miss out on stirring up love and good works with other believers, which is the grace of the church. I'm not going to use that verse to bash people over the head as many people have done. But I will say this. Man, you picked a real good day to attend the gathering. <laughs> right? Right. You can look and go, oh, well, today, Yeah, absolutely. We should absolutely come together and, and not neglect uh, the meeting, the, the gathering of the assembly. Yes, 100%, I'm here. Now, all those other trashy people out there who are fishing, they need to hear this verse. Maybe you picked the right day, but I would say this. Why, why, would, why, why would you not? How could you come up with any other excuse? If Christ is the greatest reality of all things, how on earth can we come up with, well, I'm just kind of tired today. I really need a rest. When the Lord defines rest as gathering and contemplating His greatness. Oh man, it's the greatest news of all. We can come together for... I mean, come on, guys. Listen, I know sometimes it gets long-winded here. I mean, every time Tyler preaches, right? It gets really long-winded when Tyler preaches. Uh, Especially now that he's got his G Did you see his Grimke G today? He's got the seminary degree, so you can bank on three hours next time this brother preaches, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You get it. Um, At longest, an hour and 15 minutes. To contemplate the great news of Christ. The more I contemplate the greatness of Christ through the book of Hebrews, I go, gosh almighty, maybe we need to open up Sunday night church again and Wednesday night church again and call together a Tuesday night church. We should gather with the people and rejoice together because who else are we going to rejoice with? We should celebrate. Not, oh no, I have to, but... (laughs) Today's the day I get to hang out with other people who are scallywags. And we can boast in the one who is excellent and is the Savior. We worship. Okay, how you doing? So as the gathering occurs, there's just the the tangible benefits of common stories and growing in the Bible and all that kind of stuff. But we're not even talking about the intangible benefit of what the Holy Spirit does in the gathering that nobody can quantify. I mean, the Holy Spirit is doing a work right now in each heart that has nothing to do with what I'm even talking about. He just does His thing. It's unique. What a grace the gathering is. Okay, got it. number four. And then the writer goes on to say, because Christ is the greatest reality of all the shadows, because He's the greatest reality of all things, because worship is the byproduct, all of this you need to hear, the writer of Hebrews says, so therefore toying... With the great reality of Christ, that's not a joke. Not a joke. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much... It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to say two things really quick about that. Number one, everybody was like, Hey, Troy, I really like the first part. This one right here. My roast (laughs) is drying out. I'm going to need to leave right now, okay? Oh, no. If you were here for the goody-goody, get ready for the salt, okay? And it's the natural outworking. That's number one. And then number two, if you've ever uttered, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay to your enemy. Now you realize he's actually talking to who? Us, <laughs> believers, who may trample underfoot the Son of God. All right, so let's keep that text in its context. All right. Um, so, to all the people who have uttered that about your exes, <laughs> vengeance is mine, or your, your nasty boss, or whatever, the context is believers who have tasted of the excellencies of Christ and choose to rebel and go back to works. He says, how could you do this? That's toying with the Lord. He's the great reality. So I guess what he's saying is is twofold. Number one, he's saying, if you are growing apathetic as a believer, number one, deliberately identify your sin and go to war with it. Slay your sin. If you have tasted of the excellency of the Christ and you you feel yourself growing stale in your walk, what is the sin that's holding you back that you're not doing war against? Slay it. Fight it. Put it on display. Look at it. War against it. If you don't, there no longer remains a sacrifice for that sin. You're you're treating it flippantly. And so he really hammers on this. Now, I, I want to say this tenderly. As one who walks these steps with you. Not as one who's standing in the pulpit in front of you. As a matter of fact, I might need to kind of walk down in the middle. And go, hey, what I'm about to say is me. This is me. But this is what it can sound like. Well, Christ has forgiven me. I mean, Troy, you just just babbled for 15 minutes. You got me all excited. Okay? Christ has forgiven me, so... It's really okay if I just kind of overindulge in these foods or these substances or these habits. It's it's okay because Christ has forgiven me, Troy. It's it's okay if I do that. That's what it can sound like. Or it can sound like this. Well, Christ has forgiven me, so it's okay if I just keep hating those people. I can hate those people. I mean, I'm forgiven. Or Christ has forgiven me, so I'll just... I'm going to continue to have that sinful relationship because I mean Christ has forgiven me. Or Christ has forgiven me, so I'll cheat here, I'll lie there, I'll fudge this, I'll ignore that. Christ has forgiven me, so I'll just I'll just let me and God have our own thing. Me and God, we got our own thing. If you're saying me and God have our own thing, then you just need to throw the Bible away. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. God gets me because we've got our own thing. That's not biblical, right? I love you enough to tell you that is not biblical, right? Or this, Christ has forgiven me, so I'll just just chase the best that the world has to offer. And anything that catches my eye, buddy, I'm running for it because Christ has forgiven me. This is what this can sound like. If that's you and if that's me, Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about that. That we are trampling underfoot the Son of God. That's not a joke. If we embrace the excellencies of Christ and just kind of wink and nod at our sin, he says you are trampling underfoot the Savior Jesus Christ. Not only that, he says you're profaning his righteous blood. And not only that, he's saying you're outraging the spirit of grace. We can never wink and nod at our sin. If Christ means all to us, then by gosh, he means all to us. And all in this case means all, even warring against our own willful desires. So the writer of Hebrews reminds this. And again, I I say this to you, church, toughly meaning, I don't apologize for it because I didn't write it. This is the divine inspired Word of God. But I also say it tenderly of, hey, I get it. I get it. And you go, hey, Troy, I'm battling my sin. Well, then I jump into the boat with you and go, hey, me too. Me too. I get it. But as a church, we can never walk away and go, it's okay just because we've been redeemed. Does that make sense? So that's what he says, number one. Don't toy with the great reality of Christ. And then number two, he's going to say, identify that sin, war with it deliberately, and then recall the former days. Verse 32 as we wrap it up today. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. He says, listen, if you feel yourself drawing back, number one, identify your sin, war with it, and then number two, recall the former days. Think back. Think back to those days. Restore the the joy of your first love. Go back to those days. In in, in terms that make sense today, I mean, something like when me and Julie Beth started dating, I mean, I I would do all kind of just nutty stuff. Uh, I made her a flower out of Play-Doh one day. (laughs) <laughs> I really did I'm, I, I don't know if your parents may still have the silly thing you know I, I was sitting there I mean, my mind was just enthralled with this lady and I was like well I got some Play-Doh and then my, you got Julie Beth and then Play-Doh and I'm like well let's make the flowers and so, you know made the, made the flowers stuck it together and it, you know did the silly things and I, I, d- took her bowling and and, and drove down a, a railroad track the wrong way in a brand new Honda Accord that was my dad's that was from his company and he still do not know about it but now it's on video so he may hear about it uh, <laughs> You know, you just all the silly things. You know, <laughs> I was about to say the silly thing like opening the door for, but uh, you know, we should still do these things. We should, <laughs> we should still do these things. You know, and, uh, and just, but I just recall back to those days, and, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you find yourself growing apathetic, go back, go back to the days that you burnt your CDs. <laughs> How many people in here burnt your CDs like you came to Christ and then you burnt your CDs? Yes, we make jokes about it right now. But he's saying, listen, if you find yourself growing apathetic, go back to that. Think about it. Not only that, but y'all have the holy wardrobe. I know you did the Tommy Hellfighter shirts and and, and um, this buds for you. Uh, this buds for you. You know, uh, like you're like, yeah, this buds for me. I do got that shirt. Uh, this blood's for me, and you know, all this kind of stuff. He says, Go back to that. Think about that. The days that you used to get poster paper and you would draw verses on it, and then you'd slap those verses on your wall, and you're your, 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 right. So you had Justin Timberlake, a Bible verse, Millie Vanilli, uh, all the, but you had the verses all over your own. He says, Listen, if, if you find yourself growing up, go back to that. Think about those things, the days that you memorized the text, the days that you, you had your highlighter and you, and you scribbled all through the Bible and you journaled and you, all those things that we now look back on and we go, well, that was some legalistic, fundamentalistic practices. The writer of Hebrews says, no, that's not. It. Go back to your first love and rekindle that fire in the same way. Recall the former days where you were nuts for Jesus and do it again. Gave you that memory for a good reason. Go back to it. I'll never forget a student of ours who just caught on fire for the Lord and, and he was just super on fire. And his mom called me. I was in the church office at Gardendale and, and, and she called me. And she says, hey, she said you got to help me with my son. He's just doing crazy things. And, and, and I was like, well, what kind of crazy things is he doing? She said, oh, he's... He's out there in the Walmart parking lot and he's helping people uh, get their buggies back to the, uh, the little stall. And I was like, "Oh, well, that, okay, that's, that, that doesn't seem that odd. And she says, yeah, but he wants to do it so that he can tell people how much Jesus loves them. And this mom saw that as offensive and gross. And the kid was so enamored with Christ that he was like, what can I do? I'll just go push people's buggies and tell them how much Jesus loves them. Go back to that, the writer of Hebrews says. Your mom may call you a nut, but I call you a faithful, loving follower of Christ. Go back. And the psalmist says it this way. Even the psalmist cries out, God, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from your presence take not your holy spirit from me but restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit restore it restore it um i got i got a pin This pen um, is, was given to me by um, my gym buddy that I mentioned to you guys a couple of weeks ago, my gym buddy Doug. He brought me this pen last week, and when he brought it to me at first, I thought he was going to try to sell it to me, and I was like, "Do you take a credit card um, <laughs> in your gym pants. Um, But he said, Troy, I I, I made this for you. I said, you made it for me. He said, yeah. He said, Troy, I I was thinking about you, and I made this for you. And I was, number one, I was like, that is wicked cool. Um, And he said, I got it from a pecan tree in Moundville. And the pecan tree had fallen down. And uh, it was about to die because it had fallen to the ground. And he said, I I went over there to inspect to see if there was any of the wood that was still okay to be used to make this pen for you. I said, Doug, that's really, really cool, man. Really cool. I'm trying to do some bench press, but um, (laughs) that's really cool. And he said, Troy, I'm going to show you something. If you look at it, and y'all can't see it, I'm going to leave it up here so you can look at it if you would like to after this. Because it may, it may be of inspiration to you. And if you look at it, he, there's little markings all over it. And he said, Troy, He said, you know what those markings are? And I was like, no, I assume it's you know, some dye you injected in the wood or something, you, know, you sealed it up. And he said, no, no, no. He said, Troy, <clears throat> he said, when wood begins to deteriorate, And it's at the breaking point. You'll start to see these little blemishes going through it. And there's just a neat moment, a specific moment in time that you can grab that wood and you can take it. And it's still hardy and it's still solid. It's just starting to show the scars. And you can take it and you can seal it. And those little lines will always remain perfectly intact but will also be a reminder that something that was about to die can be taken by the right hands and be made beautiful forever. And he said, Troy, isn't our sinful scars just that way? That the Father can look down at the right time pluck us up and say though you are tattered and though you are bruised and though you are scarred I can make you beautiful not by removing your scars but by showing how I'm greater than your scars Amen Amen Greatest reality we've ever dreamt of. The one who takes our hurts and hang ups and makes us holy. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, what a text. To just be reminded that everything in the Old Testament, all of the works just pointed to the fact that we needed something greater. And then, in the incarnation, we don't get the shadow, but we get the real thing. The greatest of all realities in Christ Jesus. And then at the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, we experience the greatest benefit of all those realities. The one who could take our sin and make us beautiful. And then out of that, the worshipful outflow, the natural byproduct that we will voluntarily give our lives away for you in in worship. Rejoicing that you have cleansed us to the uttermost. You have taken us and and you you are our only hope. And then Lord, just to be reminded that we don't toy with that. We don't play with that. It's not a joke. We don't take that and then trample it underfoot and just do whatever the you know what that we want. We don't overindulge. We don't we, we, we war, we fight. And then we can recall those former days where you first Grabbed us up like a broken piece of wood that had fallen off a tree. Left to rot in the ground. But you and your grace said, no, no, no. That one is mine. And not only am I going to make them beautiful in a whole, but I'm going to write with them my love story to other humanity. So Lord, spend us how you want to. Flaws and all. To not boast in us, but to boast in how excellent you are. Well church, press on. Press on believing friends. You have a greater reality and hope of eternal rest in Christ Jesus than you ever dreamed or imagined. And one day, we'll be enamored as we enter into eternity and hear, Welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. You're not a wretch. You are my treasure.